he was resurrected from the dead. I mean, come on, that just makes sense, right? I mean, how many of you have a brother or a sister? Raise your hand. How many of you would ever surrender your life to your brother or your sister as Lord? How many of you would do that? How many of you would get up in the middle of the night with your heart thumping and go, would you please just save my life? I just surrender right now. Anybody? Right? I mean, the fact that Jesus, that James actually becomes a believer in Jesus is, is just a testament of Jesus's divinity, right? Because it took something supernatural to get his little brother to believe in him as savior, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a supernatural miracle for us just to get along with our brothers and sisters. Can I get an amen? amen. Some of the greatest testing you ever face in your life comes from your own siblings. I expected a few more amens, but that's all right. Maybe you got good families. I'm happy for you. A little jealous, but I'm happy. So James is the little brother of Jesus. And I bet you out of all the disciples and the apostles and everybody else who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, I bet you James could tell more stories. I bet James was probably one of the greatest proofs that Jesus was who he really was. Because he could give a testimony of who he was when he was a kid, a teenager, a young adult. I mean, he was there. If he had the dirt, if he had the scoop. If anybody had that, it was James. Right? Go with me to James chapter 1. We're gonna, today we're going to go through the, through the first half of the first chapter. Uh, we're basically going to take each chapter and break it into two and bring you a, 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 a message with a lesson series uh, tied to it for our life groups. So we're going to do two weeks in each chapter, basically. Okay? And, and the message is going to be a little bit different today. We're gonna, I'm going to give you points all along. Okay, whereas I normally give you a message and then some points at the end, you're going to get points all along. So James chapter one, starting at verse one. And today we're going to we'll probably get to about verse 18 at the most. Okay, James chapter one, verse one. Look at what it says. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So James right there in verse one acknowledges that Jesus is Lord of his life. He says this, he says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's, that's a great attitude that James starts his book with, right? Because he puts everybody in their proper place. He puts his spiritual authority where his spiritual authority belongs. God and the Lord Jesus Christ slash my older brother. Let me ask you a question. Today we're going to be talking about two different things. We're going to be talking about trials and we're going to be talking about temptations. And that's the, the title of today's message is trials and temptations. How many of you are going through a trial right now? Raise your hand real good for me. Everybody look around and see who's going through a trial. Now I want you to give them a big hand. Come on. No, seriously. Give them a big hand. Listen, I am so excited for you for going through a trial today. I'm serious. I am pumped. I am so grateful somebody raised their hand that they're going through a trial today and I wasn't the only one. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's kind of awkward, huh? We gave you a hand clap because you're going through a trial. But basically, that's the book of James, right? James calls Jesus his older brother, Lord, and he, he surrenders to Jesus his lordship. And he's, he's talking to the Jewish believers in this, and let me tell you something about trials. Trials are something that just seem to happen in our life, right? I mean, it's not like it's not like God is sending trials our way, 
right? Because the scripture proves that, that God does not tempt us and that God does not send trials our way. Okay, if somebody ever told you that you're going through a trial because God's mad at you or because of some other reason, you need to really just let that go to life. Amen, because most of us believe when something bad happens in our life, you either go two ways. I did something wrong or God's mad at me. And some of you double those two together. I did something wrong and God's mad at me. (laughs) I mean, isn't that the truth, though? Right? I've been guilty of that myself. Something bad. I go, God, I mean, what I find myself doing? Repenting. For what? I don't know. <laughs> Trials are something that are going to happen in your life. Trials are a part of everyday life. Listen, your car will break down. Right? Your finances will get a little shaky every now and then. Right? Your kid is going to get a cold. Right? Now, don't be goofy like me and dump your kids out the tractor and one of them lands on their head. That's not a trial. That's ignorance. Let's not get confused this morning. But trials are going to happen. They're, going to, they're, they're a part of life, a part of everyday life. And scripture proves that God does not tempt us. Really, that's Satan's job. It's to tempt us, right? It's his job to, to try and throw things at us to thwart what God's trying to do in our lives, right? God doesn't, God doesn't want to bring you trouble, But you need to understand this today, and this is the biggest lesson today, is that God's going to do something in the midst of your trouble. He's not going to waste your trouble. He's not going to waste your trial. He's got a plan for you in that trial. So when bad things come your way, James says, count it all joy. It just feels good to say that, right? Here comes trouble! Woohoo! Right? I mean, wouldn't your people at work think you really fell off the rocker and you really went to a cultic church if you were to say, the boss man walks in and say, hey, we're cutting back hours. Woo! Yes! You're fired, by the way. You need some help. God does not tempt us, but he does allow, allow trials to happen, to teach us and to test our faith. God doesn't waste anything. Come on, somebody. God sees the value of these trials and allows them to happen for our benefit. God sees trouble and he sees trials and he sees when things break down and all hell gets broken loose against you. He sees that and he values that as an opportunity to do something. First of all, it's going to test your character and it's going to test your faith. Right? Because what happens when a trial initially comes? You got two choices. You're either going to stand in it and believe God through it, or you're going to buckle and scream and beg and kick and ask God to take you out of it. Right? So it's going to test your faith. So when something happens, you're either going to press in or you're going to press out. Really, that's your only two options. Amen? The funny thing is that God allows these things to happen to us because he wants to do something in our lives and, and we don't like it. How many of you don't like trials? Just let's be honest this morning. If somebody doesn't raise their hand, we're going to pray just a special anointing over you this week. Okay. We don't like it when it happens, right? But the truth is, as parents, we do the same thing to our kids, don't we? We allow them to go through hard times. Your kids ever wake up in the morning and say, I don't, I don't feel good. I don't want to go to school today. I just don't feel like going. 
What do you do? What's, what's hurting? Well, uh, I'm queasy. Okay, so you need to go to the bathroom? No. Well, what's wrong? I don't feel like going to school. And then usually dad will come walking in, get, get dressed, you're going to school. Right? Because why do we do that? Because we got a plan for them, right? What's the plan? For them to get educated. Right? Then one day, get a job. So that the next day, they can get out. Right? Isn't that how it works? I mean, that's why mama wouldn't let me skip school. She wanted me to get educated, get a job, and get out. (laughs) But we allow our kids to go through trials and testing, don't we? And the funny thing is that we always go through trials and testings. If you really want to look at it, we're always going through a trial or a test. And here's the cool thing. Your kids are taking tests in school to see if they can go to the next grade. I hope none of you had to sweat it at the end of the year. But some of you, your kids were sweating it. I mean, I remember being in high school. I had to sweat it to get to the next grade. You with me? So as adults, what, what does that look like? Trouble comes your way to test your faith to see if you're ready to go to the next level. Uh, Somebody just say, that was good. Because you see, so you may get out of school, but you never get out of God's school. Amen. It's called the school of character. And we've been praying too hard and too long to get out of school. And God's saying to us, nope, you're going today. You're going today. But I don't want to go. Well, you're going You might want to write this down. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. He's more interested in your holiness than your happiness. Come on, somebody. But how do we find ourselves praying sometimes? Lord, it's just so uncomfortable. What do trials make us feel like? It takes away the comfort. You know how I am. I'm Big Bird when I get to the house, right? Big Bird wants what? He wants his big nest. That's my recliner. I get home, I want peace and satisfaction, and I want happy, happy, happy all the rest of the afternoon. But sometimes I come home and trouble's sitting in my recliner. And it messes with my comfort. Don't mess with my comfort. But he's not interested in my comfort, is he? He's interested in my character. He's not interested in my happiness. He's interested in my holiness. Which is funny because character and holiness then turn around and bring joy on the backside. The very thing we're really looking for. It's not happiness. It's joy. Happiness is that nothing wrong ever goes. Nothing wrong ever happens in your life. That's happiness. I'm sorry. Happiness is going to let you down. Joy is that no matter what breaks loose in your life, you're going to keep on going through. That's the difference. Most of us want a problem-free life. Right? We don't want nothing to break down. We don't want the kids to ever fight. Right? But the truth is, is it's going to happen. And listen, if somebody preached a happiness gospel to you, I'm sorry. You have preached a lie. Because if you studied the life of Jesus, there wasn't no happy, happy, happy. Right? 
but there was joy. Proverbs 17.3 talks about the crucible for silver and gold. It talks about how, how many of you know what a crucible is? A crucible is a container that, that, that basically metal smiths or whatever you would call them, iron workers or whatever, they would take this metal and they would heat it up in this container to these super temperatures, okay? And then all the impurities would rise to the top after a little bit of time and then the, 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 the iron or the metal worker would come in and he would scrape off the impurities Scrape them, gather them up, and put them off to the side. That was basically trash. Then they would heat it back up some more, and then some more impurities would come, and it would scrape it off. Right? So, so trials turn the heat up in your life. And what surfaces is what God's trying to do. Come on. What, what, is it, what, what's surfacing in your life today? Is it anger? When troubles come your way, do you get angry? Is it a lack of patience? Ain't nobody got time for this. Come on, let's up. Ain't nobody got time for that. Right? Is it, is it a drawback, uh, kind of a drawing back? Do you draw back and just kind of seclude yourself when trials come? Do you start gossiping and being negative? And getting a downcast type of spirit whenever trouble comes your way. Whatever rises up in you when trouble comes your way is what God's trying to scrape off. It's an impurity in your life that he's trying to get out. Why? Because you are precious to him. And he wants you to be pure. Right? But what do we want to do? We want to get to a certain level and we want to stop. Okay, God, I'm good. I'm shining. I'm shining, Lord. And you're really still dull. Come on. You still got some junk in your trunk. Let's look at verse 2. James speaking. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Hallelujah. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Point number one. Consider what's really going on. Consider what's really going on. This is the NIV version. Actually, in the, in the New Living Translation, which is the version I use the most, he, he actually uses the word consider. He says, you need to consider. What does it mean to consider? You've got to actually think. You need to process. Right? So let's say the car breaks down. All right, my house, it's making a funny noise. Me and my wife get into some serious discussions over the van making funny noises. I've been to the point where I don't care if we can't afford it. I'm going to buy a new one <laughs> just so we can have some peace in the house. We might be broke, but there's going to be anyway. Let's say the van makes a funny noise or something's happening in your life. Whatever's happening in your life right now, you need to stop and consider What's going on? This is something you're going to have to do. 
If you're not doing it already, you need to consider, okay, is this just, uh, is it an attack of the enemy? Is it a, what is it? It doesn't matter what it is. You need to be thinking, okay, this is breaking down. Why is this breaking down? There should be a reason. It's not because I've sinned because God would just tell me that I've sinned. He wouldn't just make stuff break down in my life. That's what the enemy does. That's what your parents did to you, right? Because if God wants to deal with something in your heart, he's going to speak to it. So it's not sin. You with me? So something's breaking down. You need to consider what's going on. Okay, why is this happening? Okay, Lord, what are you teaching me? You need to consider what's really going on. If you're not careful, you can let the trial hijack the lesson. <laughs> Have you ever had that? Have you? I believe everybody should be raising their hand. That's happened. Right? We get so overwhelmed with the trial that we totally miss the lesson. We totally miss the experience. Right? What do we do? We get on Facebook. Oh, I can't believe this is Why? Because Facebook always listens. And it don't say anything back. You just don't have to go to the comments. Right. But what do we, we we have a tendency to go negative, to start complaining, to start fussing. Right. And you're letting it hijack the lesson. You're letting it hijack the experience. Come on, somebody. You getting this? Am I going too slow? I need to speed up. We have to learn to get over the distraction of the trial to discover what he wants to do in your life. It may be that he wants you to walk in greater faith. It may be that he wants to teach you how to stand when trouble comes your way. Because for so long you've been running. Right? He wants to teach you just simply how to stay. Doesn't mean the child's going to go away. But when you stay, you get to experience how God shows up in the trial. But when you run, you don't see nothing. Why? Because you're running. It's to your back. Tucked away inside of your trial is a learning experience just for you. There's character in the middle of the thing that you may be praying God to take you out of. Remember, he's more interested in your character than your comfort. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says that perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature, complete, and not lacking I I can promise you there's not anybody in this room today that can say they are mature, complete, and not lacking anything. If that was the case, you would be in glory. Right? So that means that trials are going to continue to come. Right? Because God wants to continue to build perseverance. What's perseverance? Perseverance is just staying. Perseverance is going through it. Don't waste it. I heard a message one time. A guy said, don't go through your trial. Grow through your trial. Right. So number two, point number two is to cooperate with God's growth process. We need to just cooperate. Don't run. Don't get mad at God. Don't go to your friends and complain. Cooperate. What's cooperation? It's mean you and God are getting along together. You're agreeing together that something needs to happen. Well, we're staying the pot. Don't jump out the pot when the heat gets too hot. Right. Stay in the pot. Let God do what he's going to do. Cooperate. But how do we act? I don't want to change. 
What's wrong with me now? Get in a fight with your spouse. What you mean? I thought everything was good. We said five words a day and it was good. What do you mean you want to hear more from me? Aren't you satisfied? (laughs) Cooperate with the growth process. (laughs) He's going to do it anyway. Trials are coming your way anyway. You just as soon cooperate and go on through it. Right? Stop running. It's time to get to the first grade. Kindergarten, you've been there too long. It's time for some of you to graduate. That's how we said it in Franklin. Graduate. Right? It's time to go to the next level. It's time to do something different. It's time for a new trial. How many of you are tired of the same old trials coming around and around and around and around? Right? Man, you need to stop what you're doing because it ain't working. If you're going around in that vicious circle, stop what you're doing because it ain't working. You need to just stop and consider what's going on and say, God, okay, after round number 20, I realize that what I'm doing is not working. So what do you want me to do? Right? I mean, I don't know about you, but anyway, I don't like doing the same thing over and over and over again. Amen. Too many of us believe that, that Jesus is our heavenly Santa Claus. And that all he wants to do is fly by and drop us a little blessing every now and then. And that life's going to be just like Santa Claus wants it to be. Right? But that's not the truth. Jesus didn't live that way when he was on the earth. He didn't live in no, some kind of fantasy Santa Claus land where everything was just hunky, happy-dory, however that goes. Right? He he didn't live that way. What what happened to Jesus? Jesus was chased by people. He had people always after him. He had people trying to kill him. Half the time he was preaching the gospel and running at the same time. Heard two guys talking the other day. The first guy said, man, how did you become so successful? Second guy says, man, it's easy. Two words, good decisions. The guy says, oh man, that's good. That's simple, but good. He said, well, man, how'd you get those good decisions? He said, well, easy, one word, experiences. He said, oh, great. Well, how do you get experiences? He says, real easy, two words, bad decisions. <laughs> right? Bad decisions, lots of bad decisions. <laughs> bad, bad, bad decisions. <laughs> There's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about the value of suffering. In fact, Jesus, I mean, the the Bible actually says in James, I mean, in uh, Romans, that to share in the glory of God, you're also going to have to share in the sufferings of Christ. Right? To share in the glory, you're going to have to share in the sufferings. There was never a promise that there wasn't going to be any suffering. Never a promise that nothing was going to break down. I just want you to know the truth this morning. And by the way, some of the greatest things in Cheryl and I's life have come out of the darkest days of our life. There was a point when God sent us here, I don't know, maybe eight, maybe 15, 14 years ago, if my date's correct. But there was a, there was a time, one of our darkest days ever, it, it, everything in my life was dying. It was crazy because we were going through a drought in Louisiana and all the trees in my area were brown. This is the middle of the summer. Brown, there was no more green. The company I was working for was getting ready to start laying people off. Work was dying. They'd been there for 25 years. 
the church I was going to was dying. What many people left. My mother died. Soon after that, my great uncle, one of the heroes in my life died. And my grandmother soon after that died. God used those dark days in our life to get us to listen to him, to ask questions, the right kind of questions, and to get us where we are today. Amen? So some of the best things in your life are going to come out the darkest days of your life. Don't ever take them for granted. Don't ever just just disclose them and file them in file 13, because sometimes the best things come out of the darkest things. Number three, ask for God's help. So simple, right? Ask for God's help. But isn't it funny that that's the last thing we do? Right? When a trial comes, what do we do? We look for a way out. We look for reasoning. We want understanding. Tell me why. How can I get out of this? We try to fix it ourselves. Can we throw more money at it? Can we spend more time on it? And then what? Eventually when it doesn't work, what do we do? Okay, God. When the truth is, if we would just go to God first, (laughs) right? You see the trial coming. Okay, God, I see it coming. All right. I mean, you got to cooperate. It means you, you need to know he wants to work with you. Goes back to that. He's not mad at you. He wants to work with you. He is for you, not against you. Let me tell you something. You've got some bad thinking. Bad thinking. Too many of us in this room think that when something bad happens, God is mad at us. That is not true. That is a lie from the devil. I don't know who that's for. Let's look at verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. So if you need wisdom, ask God. And it says that he will give it to you generously without finding fault. So what do we need most in a trial? Wisdom. Lord, give me some wisdom, not human wisdom. That's why you don't go run to everybody else before you run to God, because you're just going to get human wisdom. You need to go to God and get some godly wisdom. Amen. And he, the Bible says that he will give it to you generously without finding fault. In other words, it's not going to be like your parents. When you got in a little pinch and you went to your parents and said, okay, I'm going to help you out this time. But let me tell you something. You mess up again. I ain't helping you out again. That was your parents. That wasn't God. He's not going to find fault when you go and you ask for help. So number three is to ask God, ask for God's help. Instead of praying to get out of the trial, we need to pray, Lord, teach me something in this trial. This is a cool little point. You determine how long the trial lasts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm on, it just, the bulb went on. It's ping. <laughs> you determine how long the trial lasts. You determine how many times you're going to take that test. Right? If you ask for wisdom and you ask for God's help and you cooperate with the growth process, you can go through the test. You can pass the test. You can go to the next test, right? 
Some of you need a new trial in your life. You've been living in the same trial for too long. You do that by, by praying that way. And number four, you do it this way also is by keeping a good attitude. You've got to keep a good attitude. That's why James said to consider it. You need to consider when trials come your way because you're going to have to check your attitude. Come on, somebody. You're going to have to check your attitude. Are you going to let this wreck you? Are you going to let this complete you? That's what you got to say when a trial comes. Am I going to let this? This ain't wrecking me. Right? Sunday morning is a trial at my house. Every Sunday morning. I'm not lying to you. It's a trial. Because we never get to church as early as I want to get to church. So I got a choice. Am I going to blow up, scream, holler, get mad, and then try to get it all back together in the 20 minutes it takes me to drive from my house to the church? I tried that. It don't work. Right? There's a trial. There's a test. You got to have a good attitude in the test. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. He says this. He says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So James says that you need to ask for God's help. And when you ask for God's help, you need to believe that he's going to help you. In other words, you got to have some confidence. Some of you are in the trial of confidence right now. And he's just trying to teach you how to have a little bit of confidence in what you're going through. So that way, when the bigger trial comes, you think this trial is something? You just better get ready. When you pass this one. Biology's coming. Chemistry's coming. What's that big math class? I wasn't able to take calculus, trigonometry. See, I never even. No, I was still in the 101s, 201s, basic math, right? I didn't pass because I didn't want to go that far. (laughs) That's funny, but some of you are the same way. You don't want to pass this test because you don't want to take no more tests. You don't want God to do anything else in your life. Yeah, that was for somebody. You're satisfied right where you are. You're like, okay, God, I got my little spot. I'm good right here, Lord. Okay, just just look, look, God. Okay, I'll do my part if you agree to leave me alone. (laughs) That's funny, but it's true. Some of us put ourselves in a place where we go, okay, God, I'm good. I'm good. You good? Let's, let's cooperate. Pastor James said we need to cooperate. So we're going to cooperate. I'm going to stay right here. And look, I'm going to take care of this little area right here. Whew. I, I've been guilty of that, by the way. I just want you to know that. I don't want you to sit here and think that I've never felt that way and never even stopped for a season. I stopped for a season. And I set my little fanny on the ground with my bobbin sticking out. And I'm not moving. I'm good. All we're going to do is just go to church from now on. That's it. I won't drink. I won't go back to cussing and smoking. I'm just going to stay right here. And can I tell you something? Life stops right here. Blessings stop right here. 
Adventure stops right here. Confidence stops right here. Victory stops right here. It stops. When you stop, it stops. Trials are going to keep coming. But you're just going to sit there. And what's, what's going to happen is you're going to slowly start to die. And you're going to drift away from God. Further and further and further away. Until you find yourself like an island. You're going to be Gilligan's Island. You're going to have your own little island. Except you ain't going to have nobody else on that island. Keep a good attitude. James says when you pray and you ask God for his help, you need to believe that you're going to receive it. You don't need to waver back and forth. You don't need to be tossed around like a little a little P-Row in the ocean, flip this way and flip that way. It kind of looks like, you know, when you pray and you go to ask God for, for wisdom, you say, Lord, I need some help in this trial. Lord, help me. Lord, give me your wisdom. You don't turn around and go, okay, God, I hope, <laughs> please, I don't know if God can show up, man. I don't know, man, you need to pray. Okay, God, Lord, I pray that you do this, Lord, please, please show up. I need your wisdom in this trial. I just don't know if he can do it. You ever been like that before? James says that man should believe that he's going to receive nothing. He's a double-minded man. You see, when you got the right kind of attitude about your trial and you got the right kind of attitude about God and you got the right perspective on how God sees you and why these things are happening to you, when you go into prayer, you go in with a confidence and you pray and you say, Lord, this trial's coming and I know you're going to teach me something. I need your wisdom. I need patience. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. I need this, Lord. And then you stand there with a backbone and some confidence. Right? Believing that you're going to receive what he wants you to receive. And that person will win. That person will pass the test. That person will go to the next level. Have you ever done that? Where you stood and you believed and you've prayed God and you stood on faith? When you come out of that prayer room, where do you go? You take a bear on with a switch. Right? A little switch. You go, you go tackle a bear. Any little naysayer come around you? Shut up! Negative-minded person. In fact, you need to leave. You got to believe that you're going to receive. Amen? So talking about trials, the first four points are consider what's really going on. Cooperate with God's growth process. Ask for God's help first. And keep a good attitude. Have some faith when you, when you ask. Don't be double-minded. Don't be tossed back and forth. Let's transition into temptations. Temptations are like a fishing lure, right? Now remember, God does not tempt us. If you're tempted in something, you got to know that God is not tempting you. There's somebody else tempting you. Temptation is like a fishing lure. It's thrown right out in front of you and you're the fish. And it's wiggling. And it's looking just like a minnow or a crawfish. And it looks good, right? And then you got a choice to make. Am I going to bite or am I going to stay here? Guy won a fishing tournament a couple months back. Me and my brother-in-law was fishing. He stayed in one spot for an hour. Cast in the same hole for an hour. It was, it was in the spawn. You could see the little dirt spot where the fish had cleaned out the, the grass and everything under the water. And he saw the fish sitting in that spot. And he threw there for an hour. Same bait for an hour. For an hour, for an hour, finally, he caught it. Six-pound bass, threw him in the live well. 
He moves over 20 feet, finds another spot, another hour, throwing in the same spot. Why? Because he wanted that fish. You know why the enemy hadn't quit on you? Because he wants you. He wants to get you in the lip and then he wants to put you on the wall. And he wants to talk trash to all his buddies about how he hooked you. And he's going to make the story seem this big. Right? Temptation is like a lure being thrown in front of you. I hope that gives you a good picture. One of my best, here's, here's the funny thing about the lure is that the lure always has a hook in it. Here, temptation always has a hook, right? There's always a hook. One of my best, my, my go-to bait is a, is a bleeding shad rattle trap. But here's the thing. It's got red hooks on it. We say, why, why red hooks? Because red hooks look like blood coming off the bleeding shad. So the fish don't see the hooks. But they see the shad that's wounded and bleeding and they go after it. I'm telling you, that's my go-to. Anytime we're not catching fish, I'm throwing, tying on the rattle trap. Just telling you, it's a go-to. We're going to learn in a minute that the enemy's got a go-to with your name on it. Here's the funny thing is that Satan will always make sure you have an opportunity to sin. He's, he's going to make sure you have an opportunity to do something that you already know is not good for you. That's all he can do. Because too many times we say, well, Satan made me do The devil made me do it. You ever use that one? Oh, the, you cuss somebody out. The devil made me do it. Really? You sure about that? <laughs> you might want to write this down. All temptation has one goal. To get you away from God. Temptation has one goal. And it's to get you away from God. Just like a fisherman has one goal. Is to put fish in the boat. Satan has one goal. Is to get you away from God. Let's look at verse 13. It says when tempted. No one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone. Isn't that good? So number five. The fifth point is recognize the source of temptation. Recognize the source of temptation. I just said it. Too many of us blame the devil for what we've done when it's not his fault. Because here's the thing. He can't make you do anything. He didn't have that power when he was in heaven. And he don't have that power on this planet. He can't make you do anything that you do not choose to do on your own. All he can do is give you an opportunity to bite. An opportunity to sin. You stand before God one day. He's not going to say, okay, tell me what the devil made you do. Right? You need to recognize the source of temptation. You need to remember where it's coming from. Satan's got a custom lure with your name all over it. You know, here's the funny thing is that you may not bite on every temptation that comes in front of you, but there's always one temptation that every one of us has. There's one area in your life and the devil knows about it. It's your go and he threw, he's got a go to bait with your name all over because he knows you like that bait. And when you see that bait come, you go, <laughs> you may not bite on everything, but there's one. 
You know what it is. The Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning. You know what it is. It's that one area in your life. It may be pride. It may be arrogance. It may be puffed upness. It may be, it may be gossip. It may be whatever. Whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you right now, you need to write that down. Because that's Satan's lure custom made for your life. And you need to put a radar on that thing. Anytime it comes up, alarms need to go off in your head. You need to get some other fish around you to say, hey, watch out, Jamie. Here comes that bait. Right? Recognize the source of temptation. Number six, understand the process of temptation. Did you know that there's a process to temptation? There's a process, there's a five stage process to temptation. Watch this in verse 14 and 15. He says, but each one is tempted when he is, when his own evil desires, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. There's a process. Stage number one is temptation. It's just a simple form of temptation. Temptation is going to come. Just like trials are going to come, temptation is going to come. You just need to bank on it. It's going to come. It's going to come when you least likely expect it to come. When you think you got everything under control, here comes temptation. Stage one is temptation. Here's what the enemy's going to tell you about temptation. He's going to try to tell you and convince you that when you're tempted, you've already sinned. But that's not the truth. Because if that was the case, when Jesus went into the desert with the devil, he would have been, he would have been full of sin. But the Bible says that he was tempted in every temptation known to man. So that means that everything that you'll ever be tempted about, Jesus has already experienced that temptation. When you're being tempted, you're not in sin. Because the enemy wants you to say, oh, well, you're already in sin. You just soon go through with it. <laughs> Come on. You're tempted to get prideful about something. He tells you, oh, well, you're already prideful. You just soon go ahead on and go. So what does that do? I'm just going to be prideful. You know what it is for you. You want to hear something cool? Temptation may be the best compliment you ever get as a Christian. That's actually a compliment. Because here's the deal. If you ain't button heads with the devil, you're walking side by side with him. If he ain't tempting you, he's already got you on the wall. Come on, somebody. It could be one of the greatest compliments you ever get. So if temptation comes your way, you go, hey, get out of here. Whew, that felt good. You see how this is kind of weird? Count it all joy when junk breaks down in your life and, and compliments or temptations. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But it's truth. Listen, if the enemy ain't mad at you, he must be glad with you. Right? I'm sorry, but temptation comes. It, it seems like to me temptation comes whenever something's about to happen. Whenever God starts dealing with those impurities on my life, he starts raking those things out so I can become a more precious stone or more precious metal, then hell, here comes temptation. Why? Because something's happening in your life. You're taking ground for the kingdom. You're coming a more powerful warrior. 
Come on, you're becoming a better witness. Your story, your history with God is increasing. He's going to send temptation in your way. Next time you say, hey, thanks. Appreciate that. That feels good. Number two is fantasy. The second stage of temptation is fantasy. So you go from the, just a simple form of temptation into fantasy. And what this looks like is you start asking the questions, well, I wonder what it would be like if I did. Right? You start thinking that way. Well, I wonder what would happen if I did. You see the fantasy that goes on? You see how it works in your mind? That's all he wants to do. He wants to get you thinking. Fantasizing a little bit. This is, this is the stage where, where everything has to do with your eyes. This is the stage where you got you to gotta guard your eyes. Let me tell you something. The person that guards their eyes wins. You got to be careful what you look at. You got to be careful what you think about and what you process through your eyes. You can't be sitting here thinking about, well, you know, if I'd have married so-and-so, man, that brother had some abs. <laughs> no, we all had abs at one time. Just some of us keep them covered. <laughs> Can I get an amen from anybody covering your abs? I got a six pack. It's under there. <laughs> you know, what's funny is you used to have to work for sin. Back in my day, you used to have to go look for sin. If it was pornography or something, I mean, you had to, you had to literally, I mean, if I wanted to look at a dirty magazine, I had to break into my uncle's house. Right. But today you can get it on your dumb phone. Right. That's when your phone's dumb. Is it the click of the button? It's right here in your hands. I mean, bling. Right? You used to have to work for sin. You don't have to work no more. It's coming at you. Right? That's why it's imperative that you have filters on your devices. That you have some accountability. That you guard your relationships with folks. Amen? You got to set a standard. You got to set some barriers. Stuff pops up too quickly these days. Number three, you're moving towards sin. So number one's temptation. Number two's fantasy. You're starting to fantasize. What would it be like? Number three, you start moving towards sin. You need to write this down. You haven't sinned because you're moving towards sin. You haven't sinned yet. The enemy wants you to believe that if you just take a step. I'm going to give it to you like this in a, in a male's perspective. If, if you struggle with pornography or things like that. If you turn the computer on. And you got this fantasy going on. You turn the computer on and you got some intentions on going at it. Doesn't mean you've sinned yet. Right? You haven't sinned yet. Why? Because the enemy wants you to believe you sinned so that you keep going. There's still a way out. There's still hope. You can still not click. Now I'm talking about pornography, but for any one of you, it could be anything. You're moving towards sin. You start thinking thoughts like the grass is greener on the other side. Though that may be true, usually the water bill's higher. Right? She looks that good for a reason. She's expensive. She's trouble. And she's hiding something. You wake up with her in the morning, you're going to see. Throughout scripture, the Bible constantly tells us to flee. 
He doesn't say act like a flea. He says to run. It's the flea that means run. Run, run, run from sin. His intentions for us is to run. When sin and temptation comes and you find yourself moving towards it. Listen to me as your pastor. When I pray for you, there's some folks in there that have been moving towards sin. My encouragement today is to stop, turn, and run. Run like a thousand pound bear is chasing you. And ask God for help. Stop. Run. Amen? You need to ask people to hold you accountable. Right? We've, we've talked about this maybe a year or two ago about giving some folks some refrigerator rights in your life. That means they can come open up the refrigerator of your life and see what you got on the shelf. Right? They don't have to ask. Number four is the act of sin. Temptation, fantasy, moving towards sin. You haven't sinned at this point. And then number four, you get into the act of sin. This is where you take the bite from Satan's Lord. This is when you click on that button. This is when you go into that place. This is when you make that decision to do that. It's the act of sin. Let me tell you something. There's usually, there's usually repercussions for that. There's usually consequences for that. All right. The good news is, is that Jesus, who was tempted in every way, is in heaven pleading your case with the father. He's saying, Lord, I remember that one. I remember that man. That's a big one. We got to help him. We got to help him. Come on, let's help him. Send Miss Mary over there to his house. Come on. Seriously. Send so-and-so over there. Run him into this person. Right? He's up there pleading your case. There's still hope. The Bible says that if a man falls, he can still get back up. Right? You can still get back up. When you sin, let me tell you, let me tell you what God doesn't do. He doesn't do like your parents did when you blew it. He didn't throw his hands up and go, Gah! Knucklehead! <sighs> He's not mad at you. He's saying, get up. Get up. Don't stay there. How many Christians are still there today? They're in stage five, which is the one we're getting to next. They're in the death stage. That's what happens when you don't get up and you get out. You stay in the death stage. When you don't repent and you don't ask for forgiveness, you're in the death stage. You know what that means? You're going to start dying relationally, physically, emotionally, financially. Right? You're going to start dying. I mean, sometimes sin will literally kill you. On the spot. Here's something you need to start doing in your life is you need to start magnifying the consequences of sin. Because this is what's crazy that most of us, when we're tempted to sin into something, when we get into fantasy stage, we don't think about the consequences, do we? We're too busy thinking about the green grass on the other side, right? We're just too busy thinking about how good it's going to feel, how good it's going to be, right? 
But we need to learn how to magnify the consequences. You need to start asking questions like, well, what's going to happen if I do jump the fence? And listen, don't fool yourself and think everything's going to be fine. Because it's not. Magnify the consequences of sin. Let's go to verse 16. So that was the five stages of temptation. Let's go to verse 16 and 17. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Number seven, learn to overcome temptation. Learn to overcome temptation. First Corinthians 10, 13 gives us two ways to get out of temptation. The first way is that I will never be tempted more than I can handle. That's a promise in scripture that you will never be tempted beyond what you can handle. So that means whatever, whatever temptation comes your way, God believes that you can handle it. God has enough confidence in y'all's relationship that you can handle that temptation. Right? Because when temptation comes, we usually think, oh, well, this is it. I'm done. But God, from God's perspective, you have what it takes to overcome that temptation. Because he's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. Some of you need to memorize that scripture. And the second way is that God always provides a way out. There's always a way of escape. He always provides a way out. But let me, let me warn you with this. The more you press, the less you see those ways out. The more you want and the more you desire and the more you push towards sin, you don't see the way out anymore. It becomes dull and faded till there is no way out, though it seems in your mind. And there is no help for you because you're tempted beyond what you can handle. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. Right? Does it make sense? Learn to overcome temptation. You need to avoid harmful influences. If you've got friends that are leading you into temptation and to sin, you need to get some new friends. It is crucial for your spiritual life to get you some new friends. Kick them to the curb. I'm serious. Kick them to the curb and God just might one day bring them back. When you're mature, complete, and lacking nothing enough to handle it. But we get too worried about the relationship. Oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to hurt their feelings, but they're killing your life. I mean, if you got a drinking problem and your old drinking buddy's called, don't answer the phone. Right? Don't go to the bar. Just saying. You need to counter temptation with God's word and develop a healthy Life-giving relationship with some people that want your best. They've got your best on their mind. You need to get around some folks that love you. Amen? Amen. Some folks that will tell you the truth and encourage you to get out of your situation. 
You know what's funny in Christianity is that at times you get people that you, you're pouring your life. I mean, I see it as a pastor. You pour your life out into them and you encourage them and you challenge them and you call them out and you pray for them and you get up in the middle of the night with a word from God for them. And if you're not careful, those people start resisting you more than they're resisting the other ones. And you go, man, I'm trying to help you. You mad at me? Well, I ain't getting up in the middle of the night no more. Next time I tell God, I'll get it in the morning. It's just the way I feel. I feel better. Number eight, fall in love with Jesus. This is a big one. It's probably the biggest point of the whole thing. Fall in love with Jesus. Religion wants to tell you what not to do. Christianity and relationship with Jesus tells you you need to get closer to Jesus. I ain't worried about your cigarette problem. You just need to fall in love with Jesus. And then you fall in love with Jesus, you're going to fall out of love with them cigarettes. Right? You got a lust problem, you need to be lusting after Jesus. And sooner or later, you're going to quit lusting after everything else. Fall in love with Jesus. You see, what's funny is that the more I love my wife, because let me just be honest with you. This might not sound real good. Give me a hand. I'm trying to hold your hand. <laughs> she was taking notes. Here's the crazy thing. And if you're married, you know this is true. It doesn't sound good. And it ain't fun to say or confess, but it's true. Sometimes I love her more than I do other times. Right? The more I love her, the less appealing Betty is. Are you with me? Susie don't look as good no more. Why? Because I'm focused on her. I'm in love with her. I'm working on this right here. Right here. You see, some of us, we get caught up in temptation so much that we, we, we get so worried about temptation that we lose focus on Jesus. You become a, a temptation investigator. When you need to be a Jesus Falling in love with focusing on man or woman of God. You need to focus on this relationship right here. You don't need to run around with. Right? I mean, come on, this makes sense, doesn't it? You stay focused on Christ. You stay in love with Jesus and you're going to love the world a whole lot less. You love Jesus, you're going to love yourself a whole lot less. Because the opposite is true. When you fall out of love with Jesus, who you love? Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. It's all about me, 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 me. Right? But if we stay focused on Christ. Don't focus on trials and temptations. Focus on Jesus and fall in love with him. I want to read verse 18 to you. This one ought to punch you in the nose. Verse 18 says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might become, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all creation. The New Living Translation says it this, and this one's going to hit you. You are his prized possession. 
Listen to me. You are God's prized possession. Out of all creation, the Bible says, out of everything that was spoken into existence, you, 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 and you are his prized possession. You want to make leaps and bounds in your maturity in Christianity? Start believing that. You are his prized possession. Out of everything that he created, out of everything that you can humanly see, feel, or smell, you're his prized possession. You're the most precious to him. You know what? That's why the enemy's after you. He's not mad at you. He don't give a rip about you. He wants to get back at God. So how's he going to get back at God? He's going to go after God's most prized possession. So when the enemy comes after you and temptation comes your way and trials come your way, you just need to feel this little warm, fuzzy feeling inside because I'm special. I'm special. Look at your neighbor and say, you're special. Say, you're special too. You're special. Here's the truth. Trials are coming. Temptation's coming. He provides a way out. And he doesn't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. You've got to remind yourself of that. You need to memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You need to memorize that. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. Amen? He is for you, not against you. If he has an issue with you, he's going to speak to you. It's called conviction. If he, wants to, if he wants to deal with sin in your life, he's going to convict you. He's not going to cause bad things to happen. That's a lie of the enemy. He's a loving father who comes in and he says, hey, champ, let go of that pride, man. You're full of pride. Let it go. I'm not full of pride. <laughs> okay. You're his most prized possession. You're the greatest person on the planet. Every single one of you. You know that? You're the most precious person on the planet. You believe that? And you look good too. That's a good looking boy. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what road you've gone down. You are still his prized possession. If he went to sleep and he woke up in the morning, you'd be the first thing on his mind. You'd be the last thing on his mind. He loved you so much that he gave his best for you. So why would he not turn around and help you in this life? Because you know what? There's hope. There's a day coming. You know what day I'm talking about. The day when we get restored. The day when we get back into a a relationship with God. A natural, free-flowing relationship like he intended in the garden. Where he would come walk with us in the cool of the day of the garden. It's called eternity. It's called glory. Right? When we get to heaven. There's coming a day when we get to heaven. That there's going to be no more trial. There's going to be no more temptation. It's just going to be an eternity of being in the presence of God. No more needing temptations and trials. We don't need our faith tested. Why? Because we're there. But if we got to go through it now, let's go through it right.
Amen? Can you stand up with me this morning? I just want to take a moment. I want, I want to take a moment this morning. I don't want to miss this opportunity. Worship was incredible this morning. The band did an awesome job. Give them a big hand this morning. I'll be honest with you. I wanted to, I wanted to stop in the middle and just, just have a time of ministry and all this. And the Lord said, oh, no, buddy, the word's coming. Don't forget about the word. So you've heard the truth. You've heard the first portion of Jesus's little brother encouraging us and challenging us. So this morning I had them dim the lights a little bit because I believe there's some of us here that we've either fallen in the trials and we've been circling that mountain over and over and over and over again. Your life looks like a broken record. I want us to pray this morning that that changes. For some of you, you're moving towards sin right now. You find yourself today that you've moved towards sin. Some of you may, you may be at the fantasy stage where you're, you're thinking about, well, what if I did that? What would that look like? Some of you may be here and you've already taken the bite. Whoever you are today, I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm serious. I just want us to take an opportunity. If that's you this morning, just, just quickly raise your hand. Just acknowledge, that's me. I'm in some area, pastor. I need some help. Lord, I come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for every brother and sister in here. I pray that, Lord, you do something incredible right now. Father, if we're here, whoever's here and has been circling that mountain and going through the same trials over and over and over again. And Lord, life's become so dull and so confused and so twisted that we can't even see sunlight anymore. Lord, I pray right now for that person. I pray that the trial would be broken open, Lord, that that you don't take them out, but Father, help them to see it. Open their eyes, Lord. Help them to see the light inside the trial. Father, for the person that's here and they're they're in fantasy stage, and, and Lord, maybe the one that's in moving towards sin and the one that maybe took the bite. Lord, magnify the way out. Help us to turn and run like we've never ran before to literally run for our life from sin and temptation. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I would encourage you right now to just begin to confess those things to God. You can do it under your breath or however you want if you don't want the person next to you to hear. But don't leave here today and not deal with what God's been stirring in your heart. I want you to know something. It's okay to find yourself where you are today. It's okay. It's just not okay to stay there. If you're walking in pride or arrogance or selfishness or gossip or, or any of those other things, you're walking in this, just this false pride. You're believing a lie that the enemy spoke it over your life and you can't seem to get out. Maybe you're in depression. Maybe you feel oppressed. You got this heaviness on you. I just want you to know this morning, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. And he wants you to live light and free and to live free indeed. The only heaviness you should feel is the heaviness of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Lord, break the chains this morning. 
break the bondage this morning. Lord, help us to get some accountability and some filters in our lives. Help us to set a standard, Lord, before our eyes. Help us, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. I thank you that the truth severed the lie today, Lord. I thank you that the truth set the captive free today, Lord. I thank you that your truth sets us free. And we can be free indeed, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Just begin to thank. Just begin to thank him, church. Come on, let me hear you. Just begin to thank him. Thank you, God, for setting me free. Thank you for turning me from my own ways. Thank you for giving me a way of escape. Thank you for for not letting me be tempted beyond what I can handle. Thank you that you have the best on your mind for me. Thank you that when trials come, you're right there with me. Thank you, Lord, that you're, you're there with me to help me, to help me learn, to experience, to build character. Thank you that you see value in the trials. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I've learned today that that when trials come, you're not mad at me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. My church, just begin to stir it up this morning. Just bless the Lord. Let it flow from your lips, out of your belly, into your lips, and out of your lips. Just begin to bless the Lord this morning. We bless you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We praise your holy and righteous name. You're worthy, Lord. So worthy. So worthy to be praised, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you through my way of escape, Lord. Thank you, you provided a way out, Lord. Thank you, you only have good intentions for me. That you don't have ill will towards me, Father. Thank you, you don't throw your hands up in disgust. That you're just done with me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're patient, Father. And you're giving and you're loving, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to me, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I bless your holy and righteous name. I declare your goodness upon this planet. None greater than you, O oh God. Not one is greater than you, Lord. You are welcome. Thank you, Lord. 
Redo de 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 kiri me shita la karabashon do koromo shetere. Boda narakira bashada ra ba 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 ba. Roba ba 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 ba. Shoda ra ba 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 ba. Karabashon do koromo bo 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 bo. Shida ra ba 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 ba. Kira ba 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 ba. Shoda ra ba 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 ba. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Come on, church. He's so good to us. He's so good to us. Amen. Just telling me so good. You're so good, God. Amen. Isn't that awesome? I'm excited for you because you're going through trials and temptations. You know what that means? That means you're alive in Christ. You see, nothing happens when you're dead. It only happens when you're alive. Right? Hell breaks loose against you whenever you're trying to take ground for the kingdom. Come on, somebody. So you know what that means? Don't quit. Don't ever quit. He is for you, not against you. He'll breathe new life under your wings. I mean, he'll put new breath in your lungs. He'll get you excited and give you some new energy. You just keep going forward. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't ever get satisfied. Stay hungry for God. Amen? I love you. God bless you. Got a couple quick announcements for you. You stay, you can stay standing. It's going to be quick to go along with this series. We've created a life group curriculum and we've right now, as of right now, we have two life groups going. Um, the first life group today will be at 1230 ish at, at Doug and Jennifer's house. That's over in Prudum. Everybody say Prudum. Y'all can, you can see Jennifer or Doug afterwards. They're having a life group today. And then Mark and Itaj and Justin and Paula are having y'all's on Tuesdays at 6 at Mark and Itaj's house. Amen. So if you want to make one of those life groups, 
I really, really encourage you to do that because this is what happens in the life group. It's a smaller group of people that you get the opportunity to, number one, ask questions. Number two, share your heart. Number three, you get to hear some of other people's experiences on what they've gone through. And you get to network and cooperate with some people that together are trying to basically accomplish the same thing you're trying to accomplish. Amen. So I strongly encourage you to jump into a life group today, a James life group. And then I also got this other announcement this Wednesday night at 630 here at the church in the foyer will be my first step life group. If you're new to the faith or you're new to this church, first step is for you. Okay. So if you've never been through first step and you say, hey, I want to go through first step, 630 right here in the foyer on Wednesday nights. Child care is provided. We have a great time. I just graduated my first life group class through first step and next step. They're not all here, but some of them are here. Let's just give them a big hand. I'm so proud of them. Some of them have been walking with Christ for 30 or 40 years, and they just went through this again. They were like, man, this is so good. It's, it's foundational. They were excited, so I'm just blessed. I mean, we grew closer as a group, didn't we? We have a better relationship. That's what life groups are intended for. So listen to me, I want you to walk through this week with your chin up and your chest poked out because you're his most prized possession. As you leave, bump somebody on the shoulder and say you're his most prized possession. I love you. God bless you. Have a great week.